Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, true crime besties. Welcome back to an all-new episode of Serialistly. Hey everybody, welcome back to an all new episode of Serialistly with me, Annie Elise, your true crime bestie, here to talk to you about everything that is going on in the true crime world. And there is no shortage, guys. I wish there was, but there really isn't. I have been getting request after request after request from you guys. So much going on. We've got to talk about a lot of these requests, and then at the very end, I'm going to kind of talk through these requests with you that we didn't get to to see what should be on the priority list. And you can tell me because I want to obviously deliver the content you want to hear about. So today, we're going to briefly talk about some new cases, some case updates in the headlines, and we're also going to talk about the three Kansas City Chiefs fans that were found frozen to death in their friend's backyard. This is probably one of the most requested cases I'm getting right now from you guys because there are so many red flags and shady details surrounding this case. If you haven't heard about it, your mind is about to be blown. If you have heard about it, you know where we're going. So let me start with something else, though. I want to start with that cheer show and somebody involved in that cheer show. You've probably seen that show Cheer on Netflix or maybe you've heard about it. And if so, you've probably heard about the scandal with Jerry Harris from season one. He was arrested for child pornography charges and for coercing teenage boys into sending him photos and videos of themselves, also for soliciting sex from minors at cheer competitions. So just a through and through sick pile of crap. Now, at the time, this was a huge deal, and it came as such a major shock because Jerry was a fan favorite on this show, arguably one of the main characters who made the show a massive success in the first place to begin with. He had this huge media tour after season one where he made all these major guest appearances all over the news. He was on Oprah, Ellen, I mean, you name it. So Jerry was convicted, and he was sentenced back in 2022 to 12 years in prison. When the news about Jerry broke, Monica Aldama, the former head cheer coach on the show, wrote on Instagram, My heart is shattered into a million pieces. I am devastated by this shocking, unexpected news. Our children must be protected from abuse and exploitation, and I'm praying hard for the victims and everyone affected. Interestingly, Monica also wrote a character letter in support of Jerry during his sentencing. There was also a civil lawsuit filed against Monica and two other college administrators for failing to halt and implement policies against the culture of sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual hostility, and violence of Navarro cheer. In the lawsuit, one former cheerleader accused Monica of discouraging her from reporting sexual assault. 
At the time, Monica said that the lawsuit was wildly inaccurate and said, I'm heartbroken by these false allegations that have been made against me. She said, I would never remain silent or ask any student to remain silent if I were aware that any sexual misconduct occurred in the cheer program. Later on, this lawsuit was completely dismissed. Well now, there has been yet another scandal tied to this show. Coach Monica's 27-year-old son was recently arrested and charged for 10 counts of child pornography, and apparently some of the material was minors under the age of 10 years old. According to reports, his bond was set at $20,000 for each of his charges, but he was freed from jail on a personal recognizance bond, which is a bond that allows defendants to be released without posting the bond amount under certain conditions. So he was let out of jail for free, along with certain bail conditions imposed, although it's not clear what those are right now. Now, we can never get inside the heads of criminals, right? And obviously anyone into that kind of material is just sick and twisted in the first place. However, maybe it's just me, but if you personally knew someone, or in the son's case, knew Jerry through his mom and saw all of that go down, all of that happen, you'd maybe think that they might think twice about going and doing, I don't know, the exact same thing. Which again, I'm not even sure that that really applies because clearly you have to be a special kind of disgusting and disturbing to do that in the first place. But what the actual fuck is happening here? I know innocent until proven guilty, sure. But 10 counts? Then you're just free to walk out of jail? No financial cost? Just because we trust you? It's on good, good recognizance? I don't know. That is not flying with me. It just makes me sick to my stomach to think that some people who are the most disturbed and perverted criminals get a slap on the wrist. And we'll see what happens, but there's something here that is just not sitting right with me. Speaking of not sitting right, I want to talk with you about this case in Oklahoma. 41-year-old Elliot Binney was arrested in Oklahoma for allegedly fleeing the scene of a rollover car crash, and it injured his family members, and it also killed his 16-year-old daughter. Elliot faces charges including first-degree manslaughter and leaving the scene of a crash resulting in a death. According to reports, his daughter was thrown from the car and then was later pronounced dead at the hospital. Witnesses of the crash said that Elliot was driving around 70 miles per hour and passing multiple cars in a no-passing zone. All of this going down too in the rain. One witness saw Elliot standing outside of the car and asked him to sit down, and when he did, Elliot looked disoriented and then ran away. Police said that he ran away to a family member's house and used one of their cars to completely flee entirely. Well, police later found him about 50 miles away. Officers searched that vehicle, and they found a four-pack case of Red Bull, vodka, several pill bottles with the labels ripped off of them, marijuana, pipes, and a pocket knife. When officers talked to Elliot, he was also slurring his words. Once he was in custody, he told those officers that he bought that bottle of vodka earlier and had a gulp of it before driving his family home. I mean, this is just appalling for so many different reasons, but like the fact that you're first of all gulping vodka, then driving your family home, being so reckless to be 
swerving, driving above the speed limit, in the rain, going past cars in a no-passing lane. Then you get into a collision through all of this, a horrible car wreck where your 16-year-old daughter is ejected from the car, goes flying from the car, and you flee the fucking scene? What kind of parent are you? It is just so horrific and disturbing to think about and this poor girl now as we know is deceased and other family members were very injured and he just booked it took another vehicle still had pill bottles booze pipes all this stuff and just like fled town and never was gonna look back I mean what are you even talking about here so I hope they throw the freaking book at this guy and we'll see what happens there I haven't talked about Brian Koberger in a hot second over here because, to be quite honest, there just haven't really been a lot of updates. I feel like sometimes people are like squeezing it for everything they can, but there's really nothing to talk about at this point. A couple new motions, a couple things here, but here I am back on the mic talking about Brian Koberger. And for those of you who don't know, Brian Koberger is the accused murderer of the Idaho Four, Kaylee, Zanna, Ethan, and Maddie. He is currently awaiting trial it has just been I mean the details of that case are horrific I'm sure you're familiar with that case if you follow true crime I've done so many deep dives over on my YouTube channel so you can go take a look at those I will link them in the show notes below but if you and that's if you want to get fully caught up on this case but let's talk about the new happenings in this case So the gag order on information involved in the Idaho 4 murder case has been in effect since Brian Koberger's arrest which was over a year ago now and it was originally agreed to by both the prosecution and the defense. The gag order essentially keeps any and all information from either party, as well as law enforcement from the public. And both the prosecution and the defense have taken the secrecy a step further this past year by filing for the majority of their motions to be sealed, and the judge has agreed to that. Well, now the defense wants to unseal their motion to reconsider dismissing the case against Brian Koberger. So this is a little bit interesting, and many legal analysts are saying, hey, look, filings and motions being public are how both sides usually get their narrative out to the public through their statements of facts and arguments. And without that, so far the prosecution has been the only party to have their narrative out there in the public, and maybe that's what's going on here. Brian Koberger has been dragged through hell, right? The, 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 the blogosphere, the, the, the internet, the, the, the podcastosphere, uh, TV shows have all shown this guy and whatever evidence we know of so far has not looked good for him. Like it's looked horrible. I mean, honestly, I hate to state the absolute obvious here, but they've had a year to try to get their narrative out there. And instead, the defense has chosen to keep everything sealed. I'm sure in an effort to not completely ruin the jury pool, yes. However, the timing for this to be a problem now is just interesting and certainly seems like an attempt to completely undermine the prosecution and plant seeds of doubt. So my question and my big thing on my mind is, will this actually pan out? We don't know. The judge hasn't ruled yet on the motion to unseal, and the hearing for the judge to reconsider the dismissal itself is actually this Friday the 26th. And you guessed it, it is closed to the public. So we will see what happens there. If it does get unsealed, I really want to know what are in those documents. I want to know what the reason is that they think they have a leg to stand on for a motion to dismiss. I want to know what the fuck is going on. Sorry, excuse my French. But like, 
I really want to see those documents. I've even talked about on here how when the trial happens, we might have a correspondent or I might have my press materials and go just like we did with the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell trial and give updates as it's going on. I mean, I am thoroughly invested in this case. And speaking of Idaho and Chad Daybell, dumbbell, loser, Peter Griffith, asshole, Chad Daybell's attorney, John Pryor, had recently filed a motion to withdraw from the case. The state filed a motion objecting to this, though, and during the last hearing, the judge denied Chad Daybell's lawyer. A lot of people thought that that motion that he filed where he wanted to withdraw from the case was just done in a strategic move, maybe to push the trial out or to force the state to withdraw the death penalty to keep him on or to even get the state to pay for some of his attorney fees since Chad is just a loser broke ass and can't afford to continue to keep him as an attorney. Everybody was thinking that this wasn't because he actually wanted to withdraw because he wasn't qualified. Otherwise, he would have done that way sooner. It was kind of seen as like a ploy, all a strategic calculated move. So during the hearing, both the judge and the prosecution really called out John Pryor for this, basically saying that, you know, like, this is pretty rich coming from you, Guy, because you said that you were ready to go into this case last January, before Chad and Lori's cases were even severed. And not only that, you knew Chad Daybell was broke last January. You knew that you weren't going to be paid anymore for any of your services, and yet you still continued to work as his attorney. So, like, joke's on you, bro. You've known all of this for over a year at this point, and now you're trying to withdraw? No, 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 no. That is not how it works. Then they just kind of went on to say, to top it all off, in June, you said that you would absolutely be ready to go to trial in April of 2024. So to pull this out now at the 11th hour, nope, not happening, and the motion to withdraw was denied swiftly. The trial is still scheduled to start in the beginning of April, and I will keep you guys posted if anything changes regarding that, but I would like to be front and center for that as well. So going into the case that is just like flooded my DMs over on Instagram and everybody is emailing and asking for, is this case coming out of Kansas City? For the record, too, before we go into this, that is the best way to submit a case request. We have it on our website, but if you just shoot me a DM over on Instagram, I'll probably be likely to see it sooner. My Instagram handle is at underscore Annie Elise, so head over there. But I've gotten a lot of requests about this case. So it's the three Kansas City Chief fans that were found outside of their friend's home. As I've been watching this story unfold the past few days, there have been multiple updates as well as new information coming out daily, which has kind of made the story confusing and really hard to follow. So what I want to do is start from the beginning, and I want to go in chronological order of when that new information has come out so we can really paint the full picture of what has happened so far. Because it's really mysterious, and it doesn't add up at all, guys. So on the night of January 9th, Three men, 37-year-old David Harrington, 38-year-old Ricky Johnson, and 36-year-old Clayton McKinney were found frozen to death at their friend's house, 38-year-old Jordan Willis. This was a full two days after they had all been there to watch the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers on January 7th. According to police, the fiancé of one of the men called 911 after seeing a body of one of the men on the back porch. Officers responded to the scene at 9.51 p.m., and then they discovered the other two men in the backyard. Jordan told police that the three men froze to death. Police have also said that there were no obvious signs of foul play that were observed at or near the crime scene. 
Investigators believe that they died from the frigid temperatures, but they are waiting for the medical examiner's report to determine the actual causes of death. Family and friends of these three men have spoken out on social media, saying things that aren't adding up, especially since Jordan was home those entire two days that his friends were dead in his backyard, and that he ignored concerned messages from people who were looking for the three men, and somehow also didn't notice that their cars were all still parked on his street. They also don't believe that the men froze to death. The low temperature on game day, January 7th, was 29 degrees. This according to the National Weather Service. On January 8th, the low was 32 degrees, and the low on January 9th was 18 degrees. All right, for all my podcast listeners out there who ever have a hard time sleeping, whether it's you have a tough time sleeping or if you have a tough time staying asleep, I know for me, anytime I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like I never can fall back asleep. I'm up for hours and it's just chaotic. I'm going to share with you my secret sauce. And it's not so secret because I have shared it before, but it's something I literally legit use every single night, and it is Beam Dream Sleep Tea. Now, let me tell you about this tea, guys, because it's only 15 calories, it has zero added sugar, and it tastes like hot chocolate, straight up. They have so many amazing flavors, and while I used to be a sea salt caramel girl, I'm now obsessed with the peanut butter dream or the brownie batter dream. It is so, so good, so sweet, tastes just like dessert. I drink it 30 minutes before I want to be a sleep. It tastes like a nice little dessert. It's a perfect way to end my night. And then bam, I'm asleep within 30 minutes. I stay asleep. I don't wake up feeling groggy. I feel refreshed. I feel energized. I mean, I have tried Ambien. I've tried melatonin. I have tried valerian root. I've tried it all. Nothing ever worked for me. And I actually had some pretty gnarly side effects with all the other things. Beam is my go-to and I'm so thankful my husband introduced me to them. And today, my listeners get a very special discount on Beam's Dream Powder. They're science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. The numbers also don't lie, guys, because in a clinical study, 93% of participants reported that Dream helped them get better sleep. For me, even my aura ring has showed that my sleep scores went from the 60s to now the 90s. So if you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Annie Elise and use code Annie Elise at checkout. That's shopbeambeam.com slash Annie Elise and use code Annie Elise for up to 40% off. So as time has passed, Clayton, David, and Ricky's families have become just increasingly frustrated with the police response to all of this, also the lack of answers, and they now feel like the police aren't investigating their deaths properly. Norma, let me just start with you. You got the phone call that every parent dreads. Uh, How are you holding up, and and who was Ricky, for those of us who didn't know him? It's very hard holding up. I don't remember what she Who was he? (laughs) He was a loving son. He was a loving father, a loving brother, uncle. (laughs) Yeah. Norma, we hear your heart, and I can't imagine what you're feeling as a mom. I think, think too, anyone following this story from near or, or far can agree that something just doesn't add up here, right? Three friends don't just get together for a football game and freeze to death, which is what the guy who lives in that home says happened. What does your mother's intuition tell you, Norma? That something is not right and he should be arrested. He, he should at least be investigated and they are not doing anything. 
Jonathan, what's your sibling gut check here? And, you know, to your mom's point, can you offer any more insights as to who this man was who hosted Ricky and his friends, how he didn't know that there were bodies in the backyard or, or didn't report that there were bodies in the backyard for days on end? What, what are you learning from law enforcement? Um, well, law enforcement hasn't spoken to me specifically, um, but it's mostly word of mouth right now. And what we do know is that he did have animals that do need to go outside. Um, you know, they, they didn't get enough snow to really think that that would, you know, cover um, an entire person. And, you know, dogs have that sense. You know, there's there's many different things that don't add up that we just don't understand and how how somebody would not be at least investigated um, in any way or held until so it, it, we've heard that he's moving out as well. So uh, we, we don't know if, if he's going to be sticking around much longer. Okay. And just to clarify, did you know this guy ahead of time? Any any red flags that you know about with with this this friend, this fourth party? No, the, the okay. two men that my brothers were with, they were inseparable. But this man, we did not No one from Ricky's family knew um, and we don't know how they became uh, associated together. Yeah. Um, gosh, Stephanie, you know, police quickly ruled out any foul play, but it seems so many, including the direct family members, y'all are still in the dark, wondering what led them to that conclusion in the first place. Uh, have police shared any evidence with you or, you know, closer family members that maybe haven't shared publicly that are helping you make any sense of what happened whatsoever, or it's just been silent on, on your end? Um, yeah, we haven't really heard much at all. Honestly, we just want answers. On Facebook, one woman wrote, This man was inside his home alive, while my friends were dead in his yard for Lord knows how long. They were all hanging out after the game Sunday. He knew people were looking for them. He read messages of people searching for him on Tuesday. My husband banged on his door for 20 minutes. My friend banged on his door and then busted a window and yelled and announced her presence while she was inside. And still nothing from him? Then the cops come 10 minutes later and he comes out, nonchalant in his boxers with an empty wine glass in hand? Nothing is adding up. Dave, Clay, and Ricky need and deserve justice. So since all of this has gone down, Jordan has hired an attorney. The attorney claims that Jordan had no knowledge that his friends were freezing to death on his property and that he didn't know that they were in his backyard until the police knocked on his door. He has said several times that Jordan was sleeping on the couch for two days, unaware that his friends were frozen in the backyard, and also that he didn't receive any calls or text messages and that he only received Facebook messages. He says that Jordan was sleeping with headphones on, also with a loud fan on, and that that was when friends broke into his home and that he didn't see those messages until after police arrived. In an interview on News Nation, the attorney was asked for his response to the Facebook post that I just read, and also his response to the comments that he had dogs that he would have had to have let outside from that clip that I just played a few minutes ago. Sure. Even if all of those things are true, that doesn't mean he had anything to do with what happened to those young men. Obviously, three men who die all at the same time. Uh, and there's no signs of foul play whatsoever uh, from the police. There's nothing to indicate uh, that Jordan had any involvement whatsoever uh, in their deaths. Um, I spoke with the prosecutor this morning, as a matter of fact, 
the toxicology reports are due in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, you know, we can all uh, speculate as to as to how they died. Um, but as far as my client being involved, Jordan didn't have anything to do with their deaths. Um, you know, when they left his home after the game, um, he didn't even really know which door they went out. They were in the backyard. He doesn't use that particular door. He goes out in the front. Um, and so he had no knowledge that they were out there until, uh, you know, Tuesday when he was told that they were out there. And what of the claims from the families that they were trying to contact him and he wouldn't respond and they were going to the house, et cetera? Sure. I don't know about whether or not they went to the house or tried to contact him, um, but he was home sporadically. Uh, I know another allegation I've seen floating out there is that he would have had to put the dogs out, uh, that the dogs would have went in the backyard. And that's untrue as well. Uh, the dogs uh, stay at his dad's house, which his dad lives in a different location, and that's where the dogs were. He had no reason to go in the backyard. As you can see there, we've had recent snowstorms um, and that kind of thing. So he had absolutely no knowledge that they were out there. They were his friends. They were at his house socializing. If he had found them out there or if they were in danger, he would have called the police and tried to help them. He said that Jordan had left the home sporadically, both on Monday and Tuesday, the 7th and the 8th. Um, but he was home sporadically. However, a few days later, he backpedaled, saying that what he said was poorly phrased, and he offered a new explanation, saying, what I meant to say on News Nation is that he left. He was sleeping, and he left his bedroom sporadically. Didn't leave the property sporadically, left his bedroom sporadically. But this also directly contradicts the first story of Jordan allegedly being asleep the entire time on the couch. So, which is it? He also said that Jordan didn't think it was unusual for his friends to have left their cars there overnight, saying when he would have people over at his house, yes, sometimes as people, they get tired, they're people that are very close to you, and you feel comfortable going to bed and allowing them to leave when they want to leave. None of us know what happened to these individuals, and I think the most important thing to remember here is these are his three buddies. So let's talk about Jordan for a second. Who is Jordan? According to multiple reports online, he is an HIV researcher and also a protein scientist who works from home. He has since moved out of his home, he has deleted his social media, and he has maintained his innocence, saying that he was again asleep when his three friends died. His lawyer has also said that he has nothing to hide. He went to the police station and spoke with officers without a lawyer present. He also allowed them to search his home. Again, these were his friends. He also had bought tickets for all of them to go to the next Chiefs game. He didn't want any harm to come to any of them. There was no ill will. The Kansas City police captain spoke out and said, First and foremost, this case is 100% not being investigated as a homicide. There have not been any arrests or charges, and nobody is in custody. There are no specific threats or concerns for the surrounding community at this time. The resident at the house was cooperative with detectives the day that the deceased were discovered. He also said that the toxicology reports should be available within the coming weeks, and that it's unclear whether alcohol or drugs were a factor. In a statement on Saturday, January 20th, Jordan's attorney said that the last time Jordan saw the three men was when they left the house and he went to bed. Now fast forward to Monday, January 22nd, which was now almost two weeks since the three men were found. Jordan's attorney changed his story yet again, saying that there was actually a fifth person hanging out with all of the men. In an interview with Fox 4 Kansas on Monday, he said, at some point, he got tired and went to sleep. 
Well, there were these guys in the home, and as I know now, there were a couple of other people in the home. Which again, is extremely unclear, because he is saying there were a couple of other people, but only one other person, making them the fifth person there, has been confirmed. The very next day, this past Tuesday, the attorney said that he misspoke once again, which it's like, if you're going to keep misspeaking and then having to backpedal and recant on all of these news channels, maybe don't speak, my man. But this time he said that he misspoke once again and that he meant that Jordan escorted the four men to the door, said their goodbyes, and then went back to the couch and fell asleep. Okay, big eye roll. And here comes the fifth person who is now refuting Jordan's side of the story completely. The fifth person has not been named, but Fox 4 Kansas spoke to him. He said that when he left, the three victims and Jordan were all still awake. He stressed that it's absolutely not true that he was the last person to see the three men alive. After asking a few more questions, he directed them to his attorney, And in an interview, the fifth person's attorney said that his client arrived at Jordan's house around 7 p.m. that Sunday. He said his client was hanging out with the four others until about midnight, and then at some point around then is when he left. According to the attorney, when his client left Jordan's home, the four men were watching Jeopardy. Most importantly, he said they were all still alive during those early morning hours of Monday. Jordan's attorney had said multiple times that the only messages that Jordan received were via Facebook Messenger, and that he didn't receive any text messages or calls. But the fifth person's attorney has disputed part of that, saying that sometime on Tuesday, his client received a text message from Clayton's fiancé and from Ricky's mom asking about them, basically saying if they were texting me, why weren't they texting you? Clayton, Ricky, and David's family and friends are still deeply confused, and they're just looking for answers, and frankly, I don't blame them one bit. All of the inconsistencies in the story of what happened Sunday night, Monday, and Tuesday before they were found dead, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. First, they left the house. Then, they were actually up watching Jeopardy! with Jordan when the fifth person left. It's all just very, very bizarre. So in addition to this case, so many of you have been requesting new updates with the Scott Peterson case because if you haven't heard, the LA Innocence Project has now taken on his case. And there are a lot of people who actually believe that Scott could be innocent. I'm not saying I'm one of them, but I will say I understand why there is doubt. So a lot of people have been messaging me and emailing me asking me to cover this, to not only cover what this means now with the LA Innocence Project, but also like a deeper dive into Scott Peterson and what he did, what he may not have done, where people are thinking that he might actually be innocent and just break it all down. So that's on my docket to talk about. We also, from my last episode, Tons and tons and tons of you have requested a deep dive on the Jennifer Dulos case, which the trial is happening right now for Michelle Turconis, and more information has come out on that, so I'm thinking I might do a deep dive on Jennifer. I still, a month later, am getting questions and requests to cover the Escaping Twin Flames cult and really diving into what wasn't put into the docu-series and the documentary and kind of going deeper into that and then also getting some requests for Savannah Soto and doing like a full start to finish case about Savannah and her boyfriend Matthew and her unborn baby Fabian who were executed in the car with what's suspected to be a drug deal gone bad. So 
We have a lot, guys. Um, so I kind of want to just gauge from you. I definitely want to cover all of those things, but some of those are older cases, even though they do have new takes and new information on them. So what I'm going to do is over on Spotify, I'm going to put a poll up and I'm going to ask you guys to just kind of vote on what you're most interested in hearing. I'm going to cover all of them at some point, but let me know what you're most interested in hearing and if you have more feedback to give, let me know in the Q&A section on Spotify what, what you're not interested and in, what you are interested in. But definitely cast your vote so that I know where my efforts can be focused on as we're recording more stuff and getting everything scheduled. So as a recap, that's Scott Peterson, Jennifer Dulos, Savannah Soto, Twin Flames, a super deep dive on that. Some people even have been requesting Alexis Sharkey updates on Courtney Clenny, the OnlyFans model who's accused of killing her boyfriend. So lots of things. So I'll throw all of that poll over on Spotify. If you are on Apple and you're listening to this on Apple, you can either DM me and let me know what you want to hear about first or what interests you or doesn't interest you. You could also leave it in the review section um, over on Apple. I just want to make sure that as we're starting to book everything out and like schedule things that I'm giving you everything that you want to be hearing about. Also, if you're not interested in any of those and you just want a brand new case, something that's completely unrelated, I'll throw that in the poll as well. So let me know what you guys are truly interested in because so many requests have been coming in that I'm really just trying to like figure out where to shift the priority here. So that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I have a very, very exciting episode this upcoming Monday. Do not miss it. I think you guys are going to be really into it. So make sure to definitely take a look at that. If you're not following the podcast yet, make sure to take a quick second, hit the little three dots or the check mark in the corner, wherever it is on your app, follow the podcast so that you don't miss any of these episodes as I drop them. And aside from that, what else, what else, what else? I think that's all I've got for you now. But let me know what you think, cast your vote, and I will be back on the mic with you very, very soon. All right, thanks guys, bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 